so we're talking about uh, traits, these important traits that the, the Spirit of God wants to be a part of who we are. And we talked about integrity and then honesty and then humility. We talked about loyalty, respect, authenticity. And then last time we were together two weeks ago, Pastor Matt taught on generosity. And so tonight we're on C is for, now what we're going to talk about tonight, any guesses in the room? Huh? Maybe the, if you just read the text that's on your handout, it would give it away, I would think. I would think. Although I did intentionally fake you out by trying to cause you to think that C is for confidence because you were looking down trying to find the word, which it is not. So you should learn a little bit about me. Like I'm devious in that way. I will take an extra 15 minutes to throw you off if you're trying to figure it out before it's time. That's what a good control freak does. Now what would happen uh, or what will happen because this will no doubt be the case. What will happen when we get to heaven and we begin to realize all these things that we had completely wrong? That's, that's a guarantee. And one of, the, one of my passions in life is trying to figure out, well, what are those things? I mean, what, and can I, because I don't want that to be the case. Like, I really want to know. I really want to get it right. And I feel like if God has called us to something, then he's given us the opportunity to get it right. Wouldn't you agree? So he's not he's not withholding. God's not dangling a carrot in front of us that we can't get. So that's not the case. So then, therefore. These are things that maybe, you know, we're just not willing to look at or our eyes aren't open to them or something like that. And I don't want that to be the case in my life. And I'm sure you don't either. And I'm pretty sure that this conversation is something that we're going to get to heaven and realize we had this completely wrong. So let's make sure that we talk through this so that that's not the case. So C is for courage. And I think the church has missed the mark on courage big time for a long time. And I think we have the wrong idea of courage. And of all the traits, uh, this would probably be the one that I would be most passionate about talking about, most excited about talking about. It's the most personal to me. And uh, the one next week is the exact same way for Pastor Matt. So it's normally what God does is he switches them so that I sit over there and listen to him preach on what I'm super amped up about and vice versa uh, but in this particular case God uh, has given me the opportunity to talk about this and next week given him the opportunity to talk about something that is very much a part of how he's wired and you know this if you've been around here for a while because uh, courage is a it's a big deal to me and uh a lack of courage is a big deal to me. And I want to show you right off the bat how 
Let's, let's open our mind to the possibility of how wrong we may be about this. In Revelation 21, the, the, these verses, this is the passage of Scripture about the, you know, about the new heaven and the new earth, and there's going to be no more tears, and God's going to wipe the tears from our eyes, and no sickness, and, no, and all these wonderful things that we're going to experience in heaven. And, and then the Bible says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And so there's all these amazing promises. But, verse 8, but, then this list comes, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, has it ever occurred to you? Look at this list. What is the first thing in this list? And does that not look like it does not belong in that list? Now, there's no one in this room that if we start talking about hell, there's not one of you in this room that's not going to jump right on the bandwagon of, oh, yeah, well, the unbelieving and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and the idolaters and the liars. But none of those things are first on this list. The cowardly. So lest you think that I'm just a, you know, amped up on testosterone, man's man, hyped up on being courageous and want to get in people's face and stuff like that. That's not the case. I read the Bible. God is big time serious about courage. Big time serious. It's not, this isn't some, you, you know what we think? I'm talking about church people. Most people think, well, you know, if you're courageous, you're just born that way. Yeah, it's just your personality. That's just, that's not, that's not true. That's not true. We clearly don't see courage the way God sees it. And we're not getting better as a culture. We're getting worse as a culture in this conversation. There is no doubt about this. No doubt. Now, I want to say some things that are going to kind of shock you a little bit, but then I'll just let the Bible prove that it's true. And so, you know, but I feel like it's more effective that way. In the Bible, courage and faith aren't different. They're not exactly the same, but they're not different. And what you need to understand is that they're not different. That's what you need to understand for this conversation. The first step in sort of getting this idea, like if you're, if you're a female in here tonight, I am talking to you. You need to hear exactly what the Bible says about courage. This is not, about, this is not a man conversation. This is a Christian conversation conversation that's what this is faith and courage are not different now 
to give some context to maybe how we might look at courage, well, it is the ability to move forward despite fear because you have well-placed confidence. Because the thing is, is that on the surface, like if you're just if you're just looking at somebody's life on the surface and you're not uh, analyzing what they're courageous about or what they're courageous in or whatever, then you cannot discern the difference between courage and arrogance. You can't discern it. It's, it's indiscernible. They look the exact same on the outside. I mean, because the thing is, think about there's a lot of really foolish, arrogant people that are not afraid of things they should be afraid of. That's not courage. That's arrogance. You got it? So you really have to think about what I'm saying here and get these pieces together to, to understand. And if you're raising children, dear God, listen to what I'm going to say tonight because not just our little boys. I mean, yes, especially our little boys, but our little girls. We got to raise courageous children. We have to raise courageous children. We have to. You cannot fail in this arena. So they are the ability to move forward despite fear because you have well-placed confidence. So now let's move to confidence. Confidence is a compound word. And it's two words put together. And the two words are with and faith. So with that sort of setting the backdrop, now let's look at a very familiar passage of Scripture and a great place to illustrate a lot of what we need to see. Numbers 13, the spies go in to spy out the land. The Bible says in verse 26, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us, and it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the, its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and, and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying that the land through which we have Gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw 
in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak and from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers. We're talking about the Nephilim, the grasshoppers in their own sight, and so we were in their sight. Verse 14, so the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, went, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit in him, and he followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. And now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and go out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So this account, this distressing story, if you will, of, you know, we all sort of have the, have a preconceived understanding of what's going on here. We've, we've, we've heard this, many of you, as since you were children, have been familiar with this text. This is an examination of fear and the consequences of. And, and so many things are taught in this narrative. But I want to point out something to you that becomes clear. If you look back at chapter 14, verse 9, so in particular, verse 9 of chapter 14, where Caleb is speaking and he says, Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. That's a good example, you see, of where we see this, this bridge. Where if to fear is to rebel, then to take courage is to act in faith. What I want you to see is that God both in what God says and both in what Caleb says, there is no difference between, in other words, to be fearful is rebellion. 
that's disobedient. Now, I, I think you don't need to just, you know, mentally agree with that. I think you need to think about it. To be fearful is rebellion. Now, are there giants in the land? Absolutely. 100%. Is it scary in the land? 100%. We know for a fact there were giants in the land. We know for a fact the cities were fortified. We know for a fact that on paper they had zero chance. All of those things are true. But the Bible equates fear with rebellion. The Bible, God doesn't come along and say, well, I understand that you're scared because it's scary. That's not what God says. Now, I want you to just think about this for a minute. I've done a lot of things in my life that are very scary. They're scary. But I did them anyway. You know why people don't foster? Because they're scared. You know why people don't adopt? Because they're scared. You know why people don't go and deliver the gospel to houses in 39503? Because they're scared. They're scared. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And before I say another word, I want you to understand something. You might, you might convince yourself in your mind that it's okay to be afraid. But you're in for a surprise when you stand before God. Because that's not how God feels about you. All right? To God, courage is a moral issue and something that God expects of his children. You see, this is the, this is the foundational problem. This is where we, we lost our footing on courage, is that somehow we have detached courage from morality. Now, I want, you to, I want to draw your attention back to Revelation chapter 21. And I want you to understand that every single thing in that list is a moral issue. It is moral. You understand? The cowardly is no different from the sexually immoral. It is the same thing in God's economy. That's not different. It's moral. You see, this, this idea that we have, like, well, I mean, you know, courage is just this thing that, I mean, if I, either you got it or you don't, what are you talking about? That is insanity. That's what lost people think. Christians don't operate in that realm. Every saved person is expected by God to be courageous as much as he's expecting you to be pure. 
as much as he's expecting you to do any faithful as much as he's he's not expecting you to be anything else more than he is courageous it's the same i mean it's strange to me that we as believers we would universally feel some degree some degree of moral obligation to our marriage but we don't feel morally obligated to be courageous why how is that different it's in the same list people are burning in the lake of fire because they're cowardly half of my life has been people going you're a fanatic because when I talk about this people think I'm a fanatic and I am a fanatic but it's so bizarre to me that that a that someone would just be okay with passivity i hate it i can't stand it it drives me nuts like what are you doing that is the most unbiblical posture you could you may as well just shuck it all i mean i'm just telling you Like if you're going to be a coward, you might as well just go slap haywire. Go ahead. Go get high, go cheat on your spouse, go jump into some sexual perversion. Go, I mean it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's no different. It's not okay. It's not okay. See, being afraid is to refuse to honor God and to see him as he is. That, if, if for a saved person, that's what that means. Now, that's not, that, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about Christians. You're refusing to honor God and to see him as he is. And so we, what we need to understand is, is when we're talking about courage is how do we, you know, navigate this thing? Like how do, we, how do we make sure that we're not acting in arrogance? How, we, how do we make sure that we know what we're doing? Well, it's very simple. It's very, very simple. Courage placed in anything other than truth is foolishness. You see, courage, courage is, courage is something. Like, courage is not an idea. Courage is not a posture. It it is something. It's like trust. Trust is not an idea. It's a thing, right? You either have it or you don't. Well, courage is a thing. It's something. And so you can't think about it as some ethereal, you know, no, that's not what it is. It, it is something. 
And courage is like trust. In order for trust to exist, trust must be, trust cannot exist apart from being placed in something. Would you agree? Okay. Trust without being placed in something is nothing. It's not trust. It has to have an object. Courage is the exact same way. Courage that's not placed in something is, is not courage. It's not anything. It's just an idea. It's just a dream. It's just a, it's just a figment of imagination. It must have an object. And so the way that you discern courage is, what is it placed in? So, so any time in my life that I appear on the outside to be just radically fearless about whatever it is I'm doing, it's because my courage is placed into something. And what it is placed into makes me invincible. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says. So to not be fanatically fearless when my confidence is in truth would be utterly insane. It doesn't compute in my head because what the courage is what the courage is in I have the highest possible degree of confidence in. So therefore, I don't care what you think. I don't care what everyone else says. I don't care how impossible it looks. I don't care. None of those things matter to me because my courage is not in the basket of your perception or anybody else's perception or anybody's ideas or any statistics or any spreadsheets or any other thing. My courage is placed in the confidence of the truth that that thing is coming from. Got that? And so therefore, you can operate correctly. So if you place it in anything other than truth, it's foolish. Now look at Proverbs 30. Really, the whole chapter of Proverbs 30 is, is amazing for teaching about this, but we'll look at some of it. Okay? Surely I am more now, now notice, surely I am more stupid than any other man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended into heaven or descended, question mark, who has gathered the wind in his fist, question mark, who has bound the waters in his garment, question mark, who has established all the ends of the earth, question mark. What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know, question mark. I remember the first time that I realized as a young believer that there was a lot of things in the Bible that God called us to that people around me weren't doing. And so I decided that, you know, I'm like, hmm, well, this can't be. It's not okay. 
So here's what we're going to do. No, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live according to the Great Commission. That's what I'm going to do. So I said, you know, why do we give all of our money to agencies to go and accomplish the Great Commission around the world? We're called to do that. We're not called to... We're, we're, not, we're, we're not called just to fund that. We're called to do that. So why aren't we going? And you know what I found out? Everyone's afraid. You know why people don't go on mission trips? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. And people started freaking out. And so then I got another brilliant idea. I thought... Well, that went over like a lead balloon, so let's up the ante. I said, well, since you're all chickens, I'm just going to take a bunch of teenagers. Whoo! Now, you want to talk about some Christian parents lose their ever-loving mind. When When they go home, when their little pride and joy walks in the kitchen and says, hey, Pastor Tony said we're going to, that if I want to, I can sign up to go to Guatemala. Oh, that ain't happening. You know why? Because it's not faith. It's scary. The Great Commission is scary. See, we really don't believe God. We don't believe Him. We don't believe. And I remember... Reading Proverbs 30. Because I I started thinking, am I crazy? Am I wrong? Am I missing something? Like, what's going on here? And I remember reading and thinking, now hold on a minute. Who's who's ascended to heaven and descended? Who's the one who's held the wind in his fist? Who's bound up the waters in a garment? Who's established all the ends of the earth. In other words, if I'm supposed to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, if I go in the authority of the one who established the ends of the earth, why on God's green earth would I be afraid? That doesn't even make any sense. Unless I don't believe that that's true. See, I don't really believe that that's true. That's the only way that adds up. And so we make up things. We just make it up. We go, well, you know, that's good for some people, but it's not good for everybody. Is that in the Bible? Could you show me that, please? Show me the verse that says, it's okay, be afraid. Show it to me. Where is it? Show me the verse that says the Great Commission is not for everybody. It's just for some people. Show it to me. We make it up because we don't believe God. We don't believe Him. So we don't do scary things. And then we convince ourselves that it's okay to be scared. And I'm just telling you, according to Revelation chapter 21, there's going to be a lot of cowardly people that are going to be in for a big surprise. 
I'm pretty confident. But one of the wonderful things about heaven is there's no cowards there. They're not there. So the explanation comes in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. In other words, don't you see how God deals with this issue? He goes, oh, oh, here's the problem. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. Like, hold, wait a minute. If the, if the whole Bible, if the only promise the whole Bible had was Proverbs 30, verse 5. We'd have no excuse to be afraid of anything. I mean, is he a shield or not a shield? Is, I mean, I'm just asking the question. What, 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 I mean, what, what is it? What are we really doing? He's a shield. Now, if he's my shield, I'm just telling you. There's, there's never been a thing created on this earth. Not ever. Not one thing. Not invisible, not visible, not in the earth, above the earth, under the earth. There's never been a, there's never been a thing that can separate me from this shield. That could defeat me from the shield. That's what I'm saying. Like, like the this this isn't some some, you know, confidence that makes you really good. This is something that makes you invincible. He's your shield. Like, what, what's going to defeat the shield? And there's no hope against it. So if, you're, if, you're, if your courage is grounded in confidence and your confidence is in the truth of God's Word, then if those things line up, then what in the world could stop you? Nothing. Not anything at all. And that's why verse 6 exists. Don't add anything to his word. Because it seems strange. Why is that verse there? After everything that's been said, why does that even need to be said? Who would even dream of doing that? Oh, yeah. We would. We would come up with all kinds of additions to excuse our inactivity, to make it okay to be afraid, to not do the things we know we should do. You see, the thing about it is, is and, and this, is what you're, this is how your mind plays tricks on you. See, some of you, some of you, what you do is you hear something like this, and the way you navigate it is, is you, you start to feel like I'm saying that every person has to do everything, and that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm talking about what you're afraid of. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you're not doing right now because you're afraid. You don't have to do everything because you can't do everything. Because no one can do everything. 
But you can't make that some justification for your fear. See, fear is the absence of thinking accurately about God. That's that's the only way that can exist. Now, I want you to notice again, back in Numbers 14, the first thing I pointed out was that in verse 9, there's no difference between, so in other words, to fear is to rebel. The the Bible sees it as it's the same difference. The rebellion is, that happened was fear. That was a rebellion. Then what what does God say in response to this in verse 21? Numbers 14:21. But truly as I live, God says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then look at what he says, because all these men, see as he addresses, he's already it, it's a done deal. They're not going in. Outside of Caleb and Joshua, it's over. That's that's a done deal. That's not changing. But notice what God wants us to see. He points out, but all these men who were fearful have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They were afraid. Was everything over there big and scary? Yes, it was. The problem was not how scary the promised land was. The problem was their inaccurate thinking about God. And God points that out and says, hold on a second. You saw what I did in Egypt. You saw it. Had you thought correctly about what you had seen, we would never have had this conversation, would we? That's what God's saying. God's saying you lost track of the reality of who it is you claim to serve, of what it is you claim to believe. I wonder how many people come into this place every Sunday and sing all these songs and listen to all these sermons and and. And think that everything's okay. And their life is ruled by fear. And they know there's things they should be doing. They know there's things God's called them to do. And they're not doing them. And you know why they're not doing them? Because they are afraid. And they have added to his words something that makes it makes fear an okay thing. You know, uh, we got to hurry, but the thing is, is I get really fired up when we start, when when this becomes a male-female thing, because you would think that the tendency in this conversation would be for me to go on a tangent to all the females in the room and say, stop making excuses that just because you're a girl, it's okay to be afraid of this or afraid of that or whatever the case may be. But the proof is, it's the other way around. Is that it's the women in the church 
that are way more courageous than the men. That is a fact. A fact. And the pr- if you want one undeniable proof of that, is that in the most dangerous countries in the world, the 1040 window, the Muslim nations that need to be reached with the gospel of Christ, which, by the way, are being reached with the gospel because the, the plan of God will not be stopped. But do you know who's doing it? Females. Do you know that the scariest places on earth, we send single female missionaries five to one, five to one over men. We don't have men that'll go there because they're too chicken. All the, all the tough places in the world, single girls are going and sharing the gospel. That's a fact. There's something bad wrong. That's all I'm telling you. Bad wrong. Now, this inaccurate thinking about God. Look at Romans 8. So he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, I just, imp- I, I just simply, I'm just simply laying this out as evidence before the jury. You make a decision. If that was the only verse in the New Testament, if the Bible ended at Malachi and then it had Romans 8.32 and then that was the end of the Bible, if that's the only thing we had, is it not sufficient? In other words, it all comes down to this, this inaccurate thinking about God. Hold on. Like, like, oh, but they're big and it's scary. And I know in your heart you're thinking, but that's, but, but Pastor Tony, you don't know my situation. You don't know my, nah, 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 I know. For 25 years I've been listening to all the naysaying. I know. And I'm telling you, I don't want to hear your story. I don't need to hear your story. I'm telling you what the Bible says. If he gave up his son, you think he gave up his son to lose? You think he gave up his son to let something get you out from under his shield? Do you think he gave up his son to save you and then to allow you to wander off into jeopardy, to lose sight of you, to forget about you? To I mean, think this through. How? What sense would it make? It's illogical. It's not just unbiblical, it is illogical. We ought to be the most radical, I mean radical, fearless people on earth. And it ought to just be normal. Normal. We should be stunned when someone among us is afraid. It's embarrassing. If I'm embarrassed, I don't even want to tell you how God feels. It is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to look at how the church navigates difficulty. It is embarrassing.
pandemic. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So here's my question. Very simple question. What determines how courageous we are? This is the this is the the super simplified bare bones. Let's just get to the heart of the issue. When you leave here tonight, I don't know how you're going to feel, but for one thing's for sure, I'm going to make it just as plain as could be. If you got a second grade education, you're going to understand this. So what is it? I mean, is it how much you read your Bible? Is it how faithful you are? I mean, come on. I want you to answer it in your head. I mean, think of all the things. What determines how courageous we are? So every person in this room on a courage scale of 1 to 10 is a number. You're a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now, how do we figure out what number you are on the scale? And what determines it? And how do you fix it? Yeah. That's right, Tony. How do you live your life? So we could look at some things. We could ask some questions. We could. But here's the thing. If we just leave here and go, well, I'm a five or a six or whatever I am. Or, but I mean, but how do we we got to how do we how do we resolve this? Because I don't want you to stay where you are. If you're a nine, I want you to be a ten. And I'm telling you that there's areas of my life I'm constantly working on with this regard. This, I'm not standing here like I got this nailed. No. But here's what I'm telling you. When I get afraid, I freak out. Not because I'm afraid, but because I'm afraid. Does that make sense? Because I know that's, that's rebellion. And so I, gotta, and I go, what is wrong with me? And so then I start going through the process. What is my courage founded in? What, you know, and I figure, make sure, is it founded in truth? Because if it's not founded in truth, well, then okay. But if it's founded in truth and I'm afraid, that's rebellion. That's sin. That's cowardness. That's something wrong. I want to address it. I want to deal with it. And there's one, there's one thing more than anything else that impacts what number you are on the scale of courage. It all boils down to that. How we see our salvation. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. You show me a church full of cowards and I'll show you a church that does not understand the doctrine of salvation. So I don't get frustrated with churches that teach false doctrine for being cowardly because that's all they can be. But if you sit under the Bible and you're a coward, that's a problem. That is a problem. That's a problem. I'm going to prove it to you. See, the degree to which we see our salvation as a miraculous event. Now, now let me just, come on, we're going to close this out in 10 minutes. Let's, let's understand some things. All miracles are not equal. Do you agree? 
Clearly they're not. Miracles are miraculous, but there's degrees of miraculous, right? So like things, that, that things can be miraculous, but, the, but there's levels of miraculous in our understanding. There's a lot of times in our life where we go, it was a miracle. And maybe it was a miracle, and God did a miracle in our life, right? But now, walking through the, a parted Red Sea is another ball game. Would we admit that? I'm just saying. Yes. Okay. So the degree to which you see your salvation as miraculous. See, there's a lot of people that see their salvation not as miraculous. Any person who's involved in a works-based system doesn't see their salvation as miraculous because they earned it. And if you can earn it, it's not miraculous. So that scratches that right off the list, right? Right? Okay. Then you got all the people that fall into the miraculous category. But then within that category, you got tons and tons of evangelical people who, who have Bibles and say they believe the Bible, but yet they don't see their salvation. They see their salvation as a miracle, but kind of like the miracles that, you know, we experience in our, oh, that was a miracle, and God did this. You know, you get in a crash where you should have died, but you didn't die, and you say that was a miracle. I don't know. Is it a miracle, or did you get lucky? I mean, sometimes lost people get in crashes, they should die, and they don't. So, I mean, I'm just asking, what's going on here? How do we know? What's the, but so, I don't need to understand all that. I'm talking about this, salvation, salvation. If you understand that you being saved is a catastrophic, unbelievable, quantum, miraculous event, and if you don't believe that, then you've got the wrong idea about salvation. See, if you think that somehow that, that God saved you because you were just a smidge better than other people. Then you should find another church. I'm just saying. It's not going to work out for you. The biggest miracle in the history of the world was the day you got saved. That is the biggest miracle ever. I mean, ever. Listen, God can do anything with his pinky finger. Parting red seas and, and even, look, I mean, being born as a baby, doing all... I mean, turning water into blood, making axe heads float, all that. That's not hard for God. But making a wicked, rebellious sinner eternally righteous is ultimate on the list. It is absolute. There's nothing even close. The, the angels are not, the Bible doesn't say the angels are marveling it. Look at that. He parted the sea. Did you see that? He made a donkey talk. The angels don't even care about that because that's every day in heaven. But when God made sinners righteous, all the angels stopped and said, hold up, what? Wait a minute, huh? What are you, are you insane? That can't be happening. Oh, yeah, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. That is the miracle of all miracles. If you want to be courageous, 
you got to swim in that pool. You got to know what it is to be saved, and you got to know what it took to get there. And you got to know that you didn't bring one thing to the party. Not one thing. Now, I want to point something out. Do you know what happens at the end of, do you know the end of this story? You know, the whole, the spies, they come, they give the bad report, so two get to go in, ten don't. That's the judgment. No, no, no. But what, then what do the people do next? Moses lowers the boom. You're not going in. What happens at the end of chapter 14, the last thing that happens? See, here's, here's the thing. I don't want you to repent for being a coward. Did you hear that? I do not want you to repent for being a coward. Whatever it is you're convicted about right now that you're not doing, that you should be doing because you're afraid to do it, I do not want you to repent because you're a coward. Do not do that. Because it will not do you any good. It will not change anything. That is not the solution to the problem. The solution to being a coward is not going, okay, I'll do it. Now all you are is an obedient coward. As a matter of fact, all you are now is a hypocrite. That's not the solution. So, and, and here's the thing. What happens at the end of Numbers 14? You know what the people do? They receive the judgment of God, and they go to Moses, and they go, we are so sorry. We messed up. We turned our back on God. We shouldn't have done that. The last seven verses. And they say, we're going to go into the promised land. Somehow this never made it on the flannel graph when you were a kid. I don't understand why we left this off the story. No one even ever knows this. They went in. And Moses said, don't do it. And they said, no, no, we, we know we were wrong. It was the wrong thing. We're going in. And Moses said, I, I'm not going. The Ark of the Covenant's not going. God's not going. And so they went in. And what happened? It was bad. They got destroyed. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Hold on. So God told them to do this. They didn't do it. And so then they said, okay, we'll do it. And then he didn't bless them and let them get smashed. Something seems wrong. Is that, that's God, wait a minute. There's something wrong with this story. Yes, there is. Us, we're what's wrong with the story. That's trying to teach us something. See, they, they, you know what they repented of? Being cowards. Well, they didn't really repent at all. They were just, they were sad because, uh, because they weren't going to get to go in the promised land. And they were sad because they got caught. And so they were like, okay, we'll go in. And God's like, you think that's how this works? That's not how this works. Uh-uh. Don't you repent of being a coward. What, what you repent of is what you're finding security in. You see, whatever it is that you know you should be doing that you're afraid to do, 
why are you afraid? What is it that you're afraid? You see, if you're afraid to go on a mission trip, what are you afraid of losing? Are, are you afraid of death? Well, then you need to repent of that. Are you afraid of getting abducted? Well, then you need to repent of that. Are you afraid of, what are you afraid of? you got to get to the, don't, be a, don't repent for being a coward. you got to get to the source here. See, the problem was they tried to go back and just do it. You can't do that. That's not how this works. God called them to go into the promised land under the shield of the confidence of who they were as the people of God. He didn't, he, he didn't say just go on in there any kind of way you want to and it's going to be fine. No, that's not how that works. you got to make sure you repent of the right things. So this is what I'm saying. There, any, you show me a person whose life is ruled with fear, which is, let's face it, you ain't got to look far. What are you putting your confidence in? Hmm? Come on, the church is filled with moms and dads and their confidence is in their kids. It's filled with people, their confidence is in their job. Some of you, your confidence is in money. You're afraid because you don't want to lose your money. You're afraid because you don't want to lose your child. You're afraid because you don't, I don't want to lose my child either. But the Bible says that he's my shield. What are you afraid of? You, you got to repent of what it is. So, so this is the thing. If you want to be courageous, here it is in a nutshell. Repent of anything that shrinks salvation. If, you're, if I'm afraid of something, something has, has tried to move into my understanding of salvation. The only way that I can be afraid is if something's threatening me. All you got to do is follow your fears. That's all you got to do. See, if you say, Pastor Tony, I don't, I don't want to go pass out bags because, you know, I'm afraid. I'm not going to say to you, there's nothing out there to be afraid of. That's a lie. There's plenty out there to be afraid of. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that your fear of rejection or whatever it is, whatever your fear is, is clouding, is shrinking your salvation. See, the, the, the miraculous event that happened that saved you trumps, trumps whatever it is that you're afraid of. Your fears lead you to your idols. You know that? That's the only way to... 
you can't, if I say, well, what, what are the idols in your life? You don't know if you don't know what you're afraid of. If you come to me and say, Pastor Tony, help me. I need to get idolatry out of my life, but I don't know what it is. I'm going to, in two seconds, figure that out. What, is, what are you afraid of? Because that's going to lead me. That's where all the breadcrumbs are that lead to you, the foot of your idol. Fear. 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 Mark chapter 4. So there's the disciples in the boat. Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. He didn't say, get in the boat. That was it. He didn't say, hey, how do you feel about getting in the boat? He said, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Now, based on who said that, what other information do I need? Am I, am I examining the seaworthiness of the boat? Negative. Am I checking the weather report? That's a negative. Am I, the Son of God said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Yes, sir. I don't give a rip. If I see the Loch Ness Monster right there with his head looking up, licking his chops at me, I'm getting in the boat. Because he just said, we're going to the other side. But what happens is, the storm blows up. And the waves start beating the boat and breaking the boat. So that the boat was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. How many bazillion times have you read this or heard this? And they wake him up and they say, Have you seen the size of those waves? We saw something over there. We're pretty sure it was the Loch Ness Monster. Can you verify that? What is, the, what is the wind gauge saying about now? What did Bob Breck say about this storm? Should we know about that? I mean, what is the forecast? What's the, what's the national weather? There's no conversation about that. There's no conversation about that at all. It's one simple conversation. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They question, they don't question his information. They're not, they're not questioning the scariness of the situation. They question his love. They're questioning whether his, his shieldedness, his committedness, his commitment. That's the whole, that's the question. And it's interesting. Jesus Jesus says to them, his response to them is, where is your faith? See, he didn't ask them. He didn't ask them. Uh, he, he knows that they have faith because everyone has faith. The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, where is it? What he does is he goes straight to the heart of the problem. You place your faith in the wrong thing. You got your faith in the wrong basket. You see, you departed. You broke the cardinal rule of courage. You, your, your confidence was not in truth. Because I said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. 
and you deviated off of that, and you let all these other things that you see, what's the correlation to today? Come on. I mean, if I haven't offended you yet, I only got one more shot, so let's get it over with. Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. So you got in the boat, and we started going, but then you thought, I think I'm going to watch the news. Let's see what Fox News says about it. Let's see what CNN says about it. Let's get on the Internet for a while. And you got your head filled with how high the waves are and how much the wind is blowing. And you started going, well, I mean, Jesus said get in the boat and go to the other side, but Dr. Fauci said this is a bad storm. Am I lying? I'm not saying that the, that the storm's not bad. It is bad. I'm the one burying all these people that are dying from the storm. I know exactly how bad the storm is. But my fixation is not on the storm. That's the problem. He told me to get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So whatever comes between now and the other side, it's just going to come. I'm just going to get through it. There's going to be days where maybe I'm not doing as good of a job as other days. But I mean, I'm in the boat. He said we're going the other side, so we're going the other side. I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care what the statistics say. I don't care what anybody says. He said we're going to the other side. That's what he said. Don't you see? That's what we do. And so here's what happens. We, we get our head filled with what's going on, the news, and then we go, and it, well, God, why is all this happening? Do you love us? That's what we do. That's why you're afraid. You're not sure God loves you. Like, you know he loves you, but does he love you enough? Does he love you enough? For cancer? Does he love you enough? Does he love you enough? Does he love you enough to fail? Does he love you enough for you to fail and for him to keep on loving you and not miss a beat and loving? Does he love you enough for that? That's the question you got to resolve in your head. Does he love you enough? Does he love you enough to carry you through? Does he love you enough to sit in this pew or that pew with your loved one right here in a box and me standing up here saying a bunch of stuff? Does he love you enough to get you through that? That's my question. Does he, I didn't say is he going to make it go away. I said, does he love you enough for that? You better figure this out. The reason you don't make a difference in the world is because you ain't answered this question. Does he love you enough for if you lose every penny in your 401k, if the economy goes to pot and you got nothing and we all got to start going to Chuck's house to eat out of his bean field, does he love you enough for that? 
Did he say he was going to give you what you needed or not? Did he say that? Did he say, are there birds in the sky? Do I not feed them? What are you afraid of? Did he say it? Did he say it? You better figure it out. You better know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Come hell or high water, he said he's going to take care of me. He's going to see me through it. He didn't say he was going to make it easy. He didn't say he was going to take the problem away. He said he's going to see me through it. Because the victory of the miracle that he accomplished when he saved me trumps anything that can happen to me. Because listen, if I'm in the box right here and you're out there crying because I'm in a box, you missed something. Because Tony ain't crying. I can't lose. Why would I be afraid to play a game I can't lose? You can't lose. Don't you see? They questioned his love. 1 John 4 says, there. this is why. This verse doesn't make any sense to you unless you understand what I just said. There's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. If you've been perfectly loved, see, if you're afraid, you don't understand. Either you hadn't been loved or you don't understand the way you've been loved. You got it? Man, I thought we were just going to have a nice, easy night together. Y'all got me sweating. If you know how much he cares, you can't be afraid. It's just that simple. Does that mean fear never comes in my heart? Of course not. But here's what that means. When fear comes into my heart, the next thing I do is go, how much am I loved? And you know what happens to that fear? It flees. Because perfect love casts out fear. 